What's the number one thing you want your child to learn? The core message I would love young people to take away from this book is that they are truly enough exactly as they are. So without condition, without having to win certain awards or have certain clothes or look a certain way, that they just are enough exactly as they are. Today on Feed, Play, Love, a very special picture book teaching your kids something very important. Feed, Play, Love with Siobhan Hunt. What are the things you really want your kids to learn? It's unlikely that academics are top of that list. Most of us want our kids to learn things like resilience, to love themselves, to be kind and confident. At least that's what I think of. Jess Sanders is a social worker and author, and she's releasing a series of books called Life Lessons for Little Ones. The first in the series is called You Are Enough. Hi, Jess. How are you? Hi, Siobhan. I'm good. How are you? Good, thank you. What made you want to write a series like this? I think it was, like with all my books, just this reflection when I'm in adulthood and I go, why did I not learn this when I was little? Why did it take me until my mid-late 20s to start examining some of these things in my life that, yeah, weren't serving me. And I was like, oh, I, I just, I think I learned so much in therapy through people online and in Instagram space, through reading. And I was like, it would just be so incredible if I had learned some of these things when I was younger. Those, you know, fundamental core truths and life lessons that are just so important. What if we started talking to little ones about it early? And what if we gave them the language to talk about it and understand it as well? So that's where it was born. It feels like there is scope to do so much in this area. (laughs) Maybe it's just me. I'm not properly developed as an adult. But how did you decide what to include in the series? So I guess for me it was natural to start with You Are Enough because I feel like this is just this core message and it's kind of at the heart of everything. There are other titles that I've been workshopping and I've got two more in the works at the moment, but it is sort of an ongoing process and it's growing as I do, I guess. Um, And I hope that I'll be able to do it for a long time. But You Are Enough, yeah, really came about and was, I knew it had to be that first message in the first book because I just think so much of our lives and some of the harmful behaviors we can engage in or yeah, some of the things that make us suffer in our adult lives really come back to this idea, this belief we've internalized that we are not enough and that we somehow have to prove our enoughness through maybe our job or what we look like in our body. We need to get others like relationships to validate our enoughness. And it means that we sometimes move further away from ourselves and who we intrinsically are and what we actually want to do because we're just trying to prove to the world that we are enough. And it also carries a lot of shame and can lead to things like mental illness and physical ailments as well. And in my work as a social worker, I really see that. So you are enough And speaking to that message early with young people, I can see as being a really important protective factor for them and something that will support them their entire lives. So it just made so much sense to start there. There are certain things that we grapple with that feel like they've been around since human beings gained (laughs) consciousness, you know, stuff like sadness or anger or even depression. Mm. Do you think that this feeling of not being enough has been around for as long as all of those things, or do you see it as something that's more a sign of the times? I th- I see it as very much a sign of our culture and particularly Western and a capitalist society as well, because there was an interview with the Dalai Lama Dan, who is um, 
a very famous Buddhist, and in it he actually had to be explained the concept of self-hate. He didn't understand it um, and wow. he didn't have language for it and he was just like, why would you do that to yourself? And it's not something we're born with, you know. We're born believing that we're exactly enough. It's something that we learn along the way and it is reinforced, unfortunately, every day through our culture, through advertising, through the way we run our schools the workplace it's in everything and it is something that's quite unique to us because it's very different from the natural ebbs and flows of emotion you know sadness and anger and all those kinds of things it's it's a core belief and it's something that you know I don't know an adult who hasn't grappled with this feeling yet we have other cultures particularly like Asian cultures that have Buddhist beliefs who actually don't understand what we're on about Mm. (laughs) yeah yeah isn't that fascinating um, you mentioned there, there are a few ways, I guess, that kids get this message and, and potentially from school. How do you see it happening in schools? I think that like some educators do and are incredible, but some don't. And they start with this belief that some young people are good and doing well and some people are bad, like some young people are bad and not doing well enough, um, rather than this sort of starting with the, the baseline of every child in here is enough exactly as they are you know, and let's build on that because Mm. children are inevitably going to be at different levels of learning, understanding, they're going to have different skills. And just even the fact that we value one form of intelligence so much over another, and we place that, you know, as academia, as sort of this, you know, the top goal. And then, you know, we have charts where little people are ranked and we have grades where they literally have letters or numbers to attribute to their worth. You know, I remember as a young person, being so stressed about my ATAR. And it wasn't because I even needed an ATAR to get into school. I did art. I needed folio. I was stressed (laughs) because it was a number that represented my worth. You know, I was told that we're all going to be ranked. (laughs) And um, things like that are really harmful. And I think, I believe that schools and educators believe this is a way to motivate, but we don't motivate through, you know, punishment doesn't work as a motivator. Making someone feel bad about themselves doesn't often it can but doesn't often motivate people to you know do the best they can like we see that in workplaces right like a management style that's very punitive and harsh is much less effective than one that is strengths-based and supportive I assume I think quite rightly that parents that listen to this podcast are the ones that are really interested in doing the best by their kids so they're Mm. unlikely to be those sorts of parents who belittle their children for not coming first in an English exam. Yeah. But are there ways that parents can contribute to this idea of not enoughness, maybe unconsciously? Definitely. I think we all do it unconsciously, unfortunately. And I just want to preface this with, this is not an opportunity to be harsh on ourselves. Like this is kind of the opposite of what I'm saying. So <laughs> like, <laughs> don't say, oh no, I've unconsciously been a bad parent and now I must, no. Like the idea is we show ourselves compassion. We realize that we too are a product of this culture. We were parented in ways that often made us feel like we weren't enough. You know, we went through these same schooling systems, but they were a lot less progressive. You know, we do a lot less. So um, it's only natural that we're going to pass on these messages and particularly I'd say your audience subconsciously for sure. But it's often in modeling, you know, little people are just absorbing everything like a sponge. It is their job to understand the world through you and the people around them. And they're picking up on things that are often not even said. I feel like they're experts at gaining meaning from what is not said or what we don't talk about as well. And so sometimes it is, yeah, what we don't talk about, what we don't say, or it's how we treat 
ourselves. So if we feel like we're not deserving of rest um, when we're tired and we haven't earned it, you know, or if um, we speak to our body in a negative way, or if we say, oh, you can have these nice things, but I don't give myself any nice things. You're sending a message that, yeah, of, of not enoughness and young people absorb that. So it's actually so important that we, you know, take the, the same lesson that we're sharing with our little one and apply it to ourselves and engage in that practice of being self-compassionate and caring and kind every single day, even if we don't feel it. I feel like it's a common misconception that people think they have to feel they are enough to treat themselves like they are enough. And um, self-care doesn't really work like that. You know, it's like we've got to be kind to ourselves. And every time we do, we show our body and our mind that we are worth taking care of and it becomes easier and more natural every day. But it is a practice that we have to do in adulthood, adulthood sorry, and, it, and it's hard because we spend a whole lifetime doing kind of the opposite. But that's where I see the opportunity of this book with little people. It's like we can start them on that journey early, very early. And they're very simple uh, messages that you've got in the book, which I feel that adults can really take on and take to heart as you mentioned, in particularly the way we role model that we ourselves feel that we're enough. Do you have tips on how we can help our children outside of role modeling? Is there a language we can use when we talk to them that will make them feel enough? I think it's, you know, obviously we introduce language by using it ourselves and articulating out loud. And I think the language of self-compassion and self-kindness can be very simple. We don't want to overcomplicate it. It's essentially, you know, speaking to yourself like you would your own best friend. And children at quite a young age, are they're aware of their internal monologue. So when I talk to children in schools about this, I call it the inner bully or the inner cheerleader. And young people very, you know, like in primary school will be able to identify their inner bully. You know, they've already unfortunately got like a negative dialogue happening. So if we can help them identify when the the bully might be running the show and be speaking to them. We can say, hey, you're in a bully's being quite mean to you right now, saying some things that you would never say to your best friend, Billy or whoever. So let's reframe it. What would we say to our to our best friend? Can we say that to ourselves? Or what would you say to your little sister? Or what would you even say for me? And in their language, help them to turn it around and create an, a pathway and a, and a groove in that neural pathway of self-compassion and self-kindness. Because if the bully is strengthened, if the bully is used every day, several times a day, by the time we get to adulthood, it's very, it is very hard and it takes a lot of money and therapy, as we probably all know, <laughs> to, 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 to introduce the cheerleader. And sometimes the cheerleader can feel so far and so, you know, so deeply unfamiliar. So I think it's about helping them develop self-awareness and then have a new way of speaking to themselves and relating to themselves. So if they come back really upset that they didn't get that A on the test, we say, okay, like what's your inner bully saying? Help them gain some awareness around the language and what the bully is saying. And then say, all right, what would we say to our own best friend? What would the cheerleader say to us right now? Can we say that to ourselves? And can we also do something kind for our body as well. So like a little bit of self-care. Can we take a bit of time out? Can we go for a walk? Can we do some drawing? Um, We need to show our nervous system as well. It's safe because our nervous system, when we're speaking to ourselves negatively, perceives it as attack. It doesn't matter that it's coming from inside our brain. We still perceive it as if a peer or adult was saying it to us. So there's there's a negative impact health-wise as well. So it's really important to calm the body, the nervous system, as well as introduce new language. Well, I think this is absolutely fabulous, both for my children and for myself. 
Jess, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks for having me. That's Jess Sanders. She is the author of You Are Enough, and you'll find links to the book in the notes of this episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Feed, Play, Love. If you did, please rate, review, or favourite. That way, you'll get all the new episodes, plus we can reach and help even more parents. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover, email me at feedplaylove at listener.com. Bye for now.